Welcome back to the Unstressable Podcast. I'm your host, Alice Law, and this podcast is a series of amazing conversations with incredible people talking about what makes them unstressable from some of life's greatest challenges and the greatest stresses and losses they've had to overcome and how they came back from them so that you can become unstressable through yours. In today's episode, I'm joined by online fitness trainer and author Max Lowry. Max teaches people how to get back into the natural rhythms of our physical and mental health that have been taken out of sync by the modern environment. He teaches people how to incorporate methods that reset your body to its natural state. Things like sleep, movement, intermittent fasting, cold water therapy and breathing, all things that he avidly incorporates into his own life. I loved this episode with Max talking about his own journey from school to where he is now, looking at how he burnt out, how he had mental health struggles, how he was in an unhealthy pattern of partying, to now doing the work he does, helping people to become fitter and stronger in both body and mind. I hope you enjoy. Max, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. It's quite funny because obviously like I've known you for years, but not well. And it's always fun to have like a friendly face on the podcast as well. So thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So, I mean, okay, your whole story and I'm obviously going to talk about your work and all the amazing work you do and, you know, the fitness space, but you've always been someone who's like was in you know into sport from a young age but how did that sort of change from like your journey through that obviously you said you went into a very extreme sort of partying phase and burnout from you know sport at school and trying to be that person and how what is basically your journey from start to the beginning of what you're the work you're now doing um yeah I think whew, I don't know how far back you go but yeah basically very sporty at school um you know, county level at three sports, which meant I was doing a lot. And in hindsight, not really ever sure if I actually enjoyed it. It was just something that I did because I was good at it. And there was expectations from school, from parents a bit, but they weren't like pushy parents at all. But it was just like, obviously, they were going to encourage me to do something I was good at. Um, Ends up getting a sports scholarship to, you know, a good school boarding you know very typical British boarding school uh was all fine but again you know these boarding schools they keep you busy anyway but when you're in the top teams for like three or four different sports it was just a lot um and then it was getting to the stage where I was like 15 16 where basically I was going to have to choose one of them and probably talent wise it would have been swimming but other coaches wanted me to do rugby or athletics and I should have chosen before because the the level that we were now beginning to to train and compete was quite um, full on, but I was doing it multiple different sports. And then one summer, uh, my friend introduced me to smoking weed. Um, and I think obviously enjoyed it. I think I was like 14 at this stage. Um, enjoyed it and being my personality type of like always want to take things to the next level. Um, didn't just kind of enjoy it uh, on the summer holidays. I took it into school and basically there's an exchange student there. Um, 
a Spanish guy and we started talking about smoking weed because at this stage of 14, not many other of our age group were, were smoking it. And I was like, oh, I've got it with me. Um, so anyway, we started smoking. Obviously, it went around the whole school. Uh, someone told their mum who told the headmaster. So I got drug tested. Um, initially, I mean, I, I smoked weed the night before the drugs test. Um, but they basically told said that I passed. Uh, which I didn't. There's no way I could have passed the drugs test. But I think basically my sports teachers went in. I don't know this for sure. I'm just mm. I'm, I'm guessing this must have happened. Uh, my sport, my swimming teacher in particular just went in and must have said, "Look, he's young. Um, let him stay." So they put me on random drug test for the remainder of me being at the school. That was fine. I went back to doing sport. You know, forgot about it. Um, but then again, I was just doing too much, and I think I just didn't really enjoy it um, like I do now. Um, it was just doing it because I had to do it. I didn't enjoy the process. I was competitive and I liked competing, but I really didn't like the training. It was just too much. So I uh, got this back injury, which I now think was actually um, fake uh, in hindsight, um, stopped doing all sport. And then obviously, because I wasn't doing any sport, I wasn't getting that release from, from exerting myself. And yeah, started smoking weed again and then failed the drugs test and was thrown out of a boarding school um then went to a school where if you're thrown out of your boarding school you go to this school so obviously I was then around loads of other teenagers 15 year olds in the same situation um and yeah was it was in London as well so I was off partying uh, obviously it progressed on to class A's coke ecstasy fabric nightclub page 15 uh got kicked out of there um then what happened was homeschooled for my GCSEs because no school would take me uh did okay in GCSEs um went to a local state school for AS level because my parents were just like you want to go to school we're not paying for it <laughs> basically um uh did AS level there uh but at the same time as modeling and partying I've worked in a few nightclubs in London uh, got into a lot of trouble fights all sorts of stuff um probably saw you out and about a few times yeah. <laughs> um then kind of just as I was like what am I doing with my life uh, my friend was like uh, oh I, c- I can get you an interview at this stock breaking firm I didn't know anything about the stock market I was 19 at this stage and um was like yeah great company interview didn't know anything about anything uh I had a pretty extreme interview and anyway ended up getting the job which was great I had purpose but then I was still around people who were doing coke at lunchtime on a Wednesday um smashing hookers on a, a lunchtime on a Wednesday going out partying strip clubs entertaining clients which was fun you know age 19 20 21 with a company card and it was because I had these previous relationships with uh, with nightclubs I was basically had to take the clients out then after four years of that, um, towards the end, really started kind of distancing myself from the partying and really started to actually remember what made me feel happy um, and, uh, and good about myself. And that was being physically active in some way. I just, I got back into that, did a few triathlons, joined my um, a local athletics club as well. And then, yeah, it was just a matter of time before I, left that job when traveling around South America uh, before I left the job 
qualified as a personal trainer. And this was before Instagram and where kind of fitness was cool. So it was a bit of a um, a big step, obviously going from a job that's well paid to being a personal trainer. But yeah, obviously now I'm here. So it was a good decision. That was a while ago. Now I'm 32. That's amazing. And what do you think made you take that like leap towards doing something that you actually found passionate because so many people fall into this trap right they get into the you know the sort of corporate wheel of doing exactly what you were doing and some people love it some people absolutely hate it but they stay in it for the money and the security and never quite find that within themselves the confidence essentially to be like right you know what this is more for me and I'm going to try try and do it so I mean what Mm. do you think was it that sort of triggered you to actually just have the confidence to try for it I would say it's probably multifaceted. I would say that number one, probably the fact that my parents were never very pushy with, you must get this type of job. You must get to go to university. They were just like, as long as you're happy and you're doing something you enjoy, we don't care or we don't mind. Um, so I think that obviously made a big difference. I didn't have that pressure of, oh, you know, if I leave my parents, are going to be really disappointed. Whereas I know a lot of other, a lot of my friends who I went to school with definitely have that pressure. So not having that pressure but then really being in that situation where I was completely uninterested in what I was doing. And even at the age of 23, I was looking around me at my colleagues, who I'm still friends with, hopefully they're not listening, but you know, in their <laughs> 40s, 50s, still taking coke, still smashing hookers on a, you know, in a weekday. Um, you know, it, um, it was a it no-brainer. It doesn't sound like they'll be listening to this podcast. So I think it's <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, it was, you know, it was just a no-brainer. It, people ask me this, oh, it must have been a, a massive step. Like, you must have taken, you know, uh, a lot of confidence. But really, the for me to stay in the same situation would have been a, not an option, basically. So it just it just happened, really. And it, it wasn't one thing, per se. It was lots of different things um, combined over a couple of years um, that made me make the decision, really. Yeah. And I can't wait to talk about all the work you do now because it's been a great decision. But so, I mean, that time is obviously, oh, it's like a turbulent time, like a tur- turbulent period of your life, like up and down. I mean, I always ask everyone this question on the podcast, but what is the sort of greatest stress or loss you've had to overcome? And how did you come back from that? It's a good question. Um, I mean, look, I'll be honest, fortunately, uh, you know, touch wood in terms of a loss is two grandparents is, is what I've experienced. So, you know, it's, I don't have much experience in that respect. So I'm very fortunate so far. Um, in terms of stress, um, I think in my teenage years, run-ins with the police was uh, probably the most stressful thing, I think, for me and my family. Um, and how I got over that really uh well at the time taking more drugs Mm -hmm. so obviously now I have the skill set on how to deal with stress and I you know I help my own clients deal with stress but uh really at the time when I was going through the most stress I didn't have the the capabilities of dealing with it and that actually made the whole situation worse I got in more trouble um more lashing out fights all that kind of stuff because I mean, how old were you at that time, at that point, like teenage, late teens sort of years you're talking about? Yeah. yeah, so really probably 16, 17, 18 were the worst three years or best, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> 
I mean, that's it's such an interesting, like, um, you know, point that you said, which is, you know, I use drugs because I didn't know how to deal with it at this point. And this is such a common theme for so many people. Like, none of us know how to deal with stress, even emotions, until we learn how to. And it's it's quite funny because, you know, obviously we're all born, um, we're going to all have stressful experiences, we're all going to have emotions, but it's a sort of societal norm to like either not talk about your emotions or not know how to deal with these kind of things but really I think it should be taught in schools at the age of like three we should be learning how to meditate and stuff like that I don't know what you think about that but it's, it's yeah it's crazy to me proper um, life skills yeah exactly exactly I mean what I teach my clients really is you know stress can't be avoided um it's all, it's going to happen you can't control the universe but you can improve your stress tolerance you can improve how you react to stress. Um, and really the way that I do that is with what I call uh, non-negotiables. So, you know, what are the things that I have to do to be able to show up, get results for my clients, motivate, inspire, be the best version of myself. Um, and it's going to be different for everyone. But the things for me, uh, sleep, I think really sleep's the same for everyone. I can't, can't cheat sleep. Then after sleep, it's different for everyone, but it's for me, it's um, being in the outdoors, like whether it's hiking, climbing, trail running, my workouts, um, and removing myself from from technology, social media. Yeah, like, that's interesting that you say that, obviously, because we spoke about this briefly before, but um, you have, like, well, a large social media presence in terms of, you know, following, but you obviously have found that it's not healthy for you to sort of be on social media all the time. Like it's not for everyone. So how do you kind of, how did you, yeah, sort of navigate that? Um, yeah, I spent from really 2017-ish to 2020 relentlessly posting on Instagram and being obsessed with Instagram. And that was kind of the base of uh, how I was finding clients and um, finding online coaching clients. And so, you know, it's a double-edged sword, like in one respect, you know, I live in a time where I don't have to do a traditional job and I've got tools like social media that I can, you know, make a living and help people uh, with all over the world. But obviously the nature of them, they are highly addictive. They, they keep you sucked in. Um, fortunately, I'm not necessarily someone that really, it didn't affect my mental health in terms of kind of self-esteem, uh, things like that. It's more just like focus, attention, um, being present uh, when I'm with friends, family, loved ones. Um, so I just started incorporating digital fasting. Obviously, I've been a big advocate of intermittent fasting. So I was <laughs> like, I'll, I'll marry the two and really kind of structured it in the same way because obviously intermittent fasting is you're going through periods of eating or periods of not eating and it was the same so I would go through periods where I would use my phone and there'd be periods where I would absolutely not use my phone and having that structure was just really useful and it's now something that I I do all the time um, regularly yeah it's, it's an amazing feeling though like what do you say when you put your phone away and I always say to clients, like, put your phone in a drawer for, like, two hours when you get home or two hours before you go to bed, whatever it is, out of sight, out of mind, because it's so easy to just grab it and check it for no reason. And um, I think there's a crazy, crazy 
statistic of something I read the other day in a study that said on average people pick up or touch their phone like over 3,000 or something times a day, which is just mm-hmm. insane. You, know? <laughs> you can see you that. About it. Yeah, totally. It logs it. on. Um, I've got an iPhone. It would say on your, what's it called, screen time, how many pick up. And, you know, it's, it's a lot. And really, um, they've also done studies uh, where essentially – even if it's you're not on your phone, the fact that it's in sight or in the room affects your attention, your focus. And this is something I've really noticed because I've really kind of dived into trying to be more productive, in, improve focus. And I know that when my phone is on my desk, uh, I'll be deeply, you know, doing some work and then I'll see it in the corner of my eye and that will immediately make me want to go and check it and I'll check it. And then obviously that kind of just throws me off my, my focus. So yeah, really, I have like a drawer in the living room where my phone is uh, most of the time. And I might still have this impulsive thought for, to check my phone, but obviously because it's not in front of me and obviously because I do practice meditation, um, I don't engage with that thought. Um, so it's just about, I think, making it harder to do something. And obviously if it's another room, then I also deleted apps for a long, uh, I, I would delete Instagram and Facebook for weekends. Mm. And again, you still get that urge to go and check it, but then obviously you go there and it's not there and you're like, oh yeah, I'm not meant to be checking it. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah, like it's, putting those reminders in your mind to not do something as opposed to do it, like you say. Yeah, well, it's a really good book called Atomic Habits. Have you read it? Yeah, actually, you know I haven't read it. It's on my shelf. My sister gave it to me a month ago it. and it's still there staring at me now. <laughs> it's very good. I mean, there are lots of habit books, um, but he, out of the ones that I've read, he's really, it's nothing new what he's saying, but the way that he's structured it and put it together is very practical um, and it's, ve- it's very useful. So he talks about, um, when you want to break a bad habit, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's something like make it difficult make it unattractive, make it um, unobtainable or something like that. But there's four steps to it. Um, and it's the inverse for a positive habit. It's make it easy, make it attractive. I can't remember what the other ones are. We have to read it. But yeah, oh, well. understanding those is quite powerful. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll definitely try and read that. It's on my, on my list. <laughs> Many. Um, okay, so you touched obviously there on intermittent fasting. So... For those listening, what, what is intermittent fasting in itself, really? How does the sort of process of it work? So, you know, fasting is nothing new, uh, although intermittent fasting has gained a lot of recent publicity. Um, but really, you know, fasting has been used in every ancient culture and religion known. You know, um, Judaism has it, Islam has it, Christianity has it, the Egyptians did it. Um, and it was used as kind of a, a spiritual cleansing tool it was usually done around religious practices um but ultimately it just now intermittent fasting basically just means like i said earlier you're rather than waking up and just eating regularly throughout the day uh, or i call it grazing which has kind of become the 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 norm in the western world it's become socially acceptable to to eat up to 12 times in a day Um, whereas even in our lifetime if you remember back to like school days snacking in between meals was very discouraged it's like oh, if you have your snack you won't be able to have your proper meal kind of thing so intermittent fasting is just breaking your day up into periods of eating or not eating and there are um, multiple potential benefits to that 
So, I mean, you obviously, your focus is on women, which is, is amazing. Um, <laughs> what do you mean by that? In general, no. <laughs> you mean your, by who your, I help? Your work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why, why is that for starters? What kind of, why did you choose to sort of help, you know, women with their, with their health, with their weight loss, with their you know, fitness goals over, well, not over men, but why was that your sort of direct path? Uh, two reasons. Number one, my 10 years experience as a coach, 90% of my clients have been female. So that is my experience base uh, for whatever reason. I think mostly because men don't like asking for help, especially from other men. Um, secondly, when I shifted to online coaching, um, I realized that actually working with one specific type of person was better for business, but also better for the program and for the individual, because then the training, the program is continually optimizing, improving for that one type of person. Whereas when I initially started, I was trying to help everyone speak to everyone. And really I was helping no one. Um, and really, uh, I think I just, um, find it very rewarding working with women more than men because a lot of a lot of a lot of the time it is more emotional um and yes i help them lose weight but actually what i really help them with is getting them out of what i call the dieting mindset and once you get out of the dieting mindset um you're not labeling foods as good or bad you're not being good on the weekends and being bad on the weekends and then feeling uh, good during the week bad on the weekends and then feeling guilty about it and cycling through this this diet cycle, um, once they're out of that and they're getting predictable and consistent results, their lives improve in ways they never even realized. And for me as a coach, that's very rewarding, seeing them become the best version of themselves in, in lots of different ways and actually just eat like a normal person instead of restricting and binging and not enjoying meals out, not enjoying holidays, stuff like that. Yeah, so I mean, so true and what what are the kind of challenges that you see before you do the work that you do which i want to talk about like what are the kind of challenges you see women come up against that's such sort of common themes well i would say okay i would say a very common theme and i speak to at least 50 new potential clients a month uh, and I've done that consistently for about two years. Um, so that's quite a lot of different people, um, or women specifically. A very high percentage have had a mum, a teacher, a doctor, a sibling say something about fat loss, um, about them needing to lose weight or actually put them on a diet from a young age. And that has affected their relationship with food for their entire lives. So not only have they seen themselves as overweight from a very young age, even though they weren't, um, of course, because they've seen themselves as overweight, that's made them gravitate towards diets. And obviously, all diets involve kind of some kind of restriction and deprivation. So they're hopping from one diet to the next. They're losing a bit of weight, putting it back on, getting heavier gradually. All this affects their relationship with food, relationship with themselves, relationships with their family. Um, and they end up feeling very confused, uh, even though they're saturated with information about nutrition and exercise and it leads them to basically um have no self-belief that they can achieve it they become someone who cannot succeed uh, at weight loss and initially that's just about nutrition but actually it can permeate into other areas of their lives where they suddenly don't have the confidence to 
quit their job or ask for a promotion, ask for a raise, get out of a toxic relationship, whatever it might be. Yeah. I think it's really interesting you say the word confidence, that, how that affects you in different ways. Because, I mean, I've always been someone who's been very lucky with like my metabolism and stuff. And then when my dad died, I put on weight for the first time in my life when I was 29. And I was like, what the hell's going on? And it really, really, you know, shook my confidence massively. Mm. And I tried some stupid, stupid ways to lose. <laughs> you were talking about like diets or whatever and nothing would work or if it worked it would just come back on and mm -hmm. then actually another guest on my podcast was the reason I lost it in the end a woman called Yalda who does something called eat burn sleep and I had to do like really low inflammatory diet because my body was really full of inflammation from grief and stress mm -hmm. and that and it just dropped off and it was just like an easy lifestyle to to keep to and not have to keep to the entire you know not be stripped and not like restrict myself like you say And um, it's just really interesting that you say like that confidence level. I mean, I saw a massive drop in my confidence at that time, which I've now, you know, regained again from getting my sort of what I know my body to be back. But it's amazing how your body and how you feel in yourself really does affect, you know, how you can react in the rest of your life. I mean, how do you sort of work with women in that sense, like, you know, regain their confidence? Is that like part of the process or does it just happen naturally like it did with me really in, in every essence? It happens naturally, obviously, once they actually start to get results and consistent results and then realize that they can do that while still eating chocolate and drinking wine, being social uh, and not having to destroy themselves in a gym. I mean, like we, I don't actually do any um, structured exercise with my clients, a lot of them. Um, and yeah, it just, it just happens. Um, we also do focus quite, um, quite a lot on identity and you know if they've developed an identity of failure they've developed an identity of someone who isn't in control of their food and who has no willpower and it's about shifting that identity into an identity of success an identity of someone who can do anything if they put their mind to it um i work by exposing to ideas like growth mindset of a fixed mindset um things like that so it's kind of you know, they get results, which obviously boosts confidence. And then they have this kind of mindset shift at the same time. And, you know, for example, Ed Janet, um, 68, joined the program, lost two stone in 90 days and, you know, amazing. had these massive shifts. That's not the amazing part. Uh, so once she lost the weight, she realized like, I no longer want to focus on fat loss. I don't want to have that as the goal. And that's something we very much focus on is not having that as the goal. So she's like, oh, I've always liked cycling. How about, um, uh, you know, you help me cycle 100 miles in a day at the age of 67. So we coached her over the course of six months. And yeah, she cycled 100 miles in a day. And she had two flat tires and it was pissing down with rain the whole, the whole way. And she did it. Um, oh, my God, amazing. Yeah. So I think it's just, um, it really is, it can seem very minor, Um, and actually there's a big movement towards body positivity and there's now this other, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but there's now this kind of inverse, um, idea that's happening that actually people, people are being made feel me to feel guilty for wanting to better themselves and wanting to maybe lose weight. Uh, but actually, you know, people always feel ashamed to say, I say, what's the number one reason you want to lose the weight? And they say, because I, I don't like the way that I look. I know that sounds vain and I know that sounds blah, blah, blah. But really fundamentally, if you're not happy 
within your own skin and that you're not confident within yourself in that way, then I don't see how it's going to be possible to, to really be the best version of yourself and be fully present in the moment, you know, in social situations. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, so, okay. You talk about obviously like long-term behavioral change. What, how does that obviously it differs in the name itself, but like, how does that differ in sort of the whole dieting fad, you know, quick fixes that obviously don't, don't work. I've been there myself. <laughs> what, yeah. What's the sort of like yeah, shift in that? How, how do you help people change in the long term? We have a three phase approach. And the first is habits. Sorry. First is mindset, beliefs, and identity. That's the first phase. And 99% of diets do not incorporate that. They'll just focus on the next two phases, which is nutrition and activity. And if you just focus on nutrition and activity, yes, you can get fat loss results. Um, but if you don't focus on the first phase, you're unlikely to maintain them. Because what will happen is as soon as you finish the program and you stop following instructions, you will revert back to your existing self-image. Um, it's why the goal really isn't to run a marathon, for example, because what people do is they, they train to run a marathon and they do it, they lose weight, they get fitter. But as soon as the marathon's over, they return back to their existing self-image. So the goal isn't to run a marathon. The goal is to become someone who enjoys running. Mm-hmm. And then obviously that becomes a long-term way of life. So again, the goal isn't to lose weight. The goal is to become someone that can lose the weight and keep it off. And becoming that person is more than just calories in versus calories out. It's more than the next fad diet. So there's that, which is like kind of deeply entwined. But then when it comes to the actual nutrition, like I said, most of what's out there is focused on restriction deprivation don't eat carbohydrates only 800 calories don't eat sugar don't drink alcohol don't eat gluten don't eat meat whatever it is um and for most people you can't sustain that so it's about focusing on habits and behaviors i.e um you know for example include a protein source at each meal sit down for a full 30 minutes at least at your meal times eliminate mindless snacking eat until you're full at each meal so you're not drawn to snacking uh you know maybe stop eating after eight o'clock um to help with sleep and lots of other different things so obviously the habits depend on the individual this is really why generic advice doesn't work um it does take like one particularly if you've been exposed to diet culture for 20 30 40 years like some of my clients you need one-on-one support and you need experts who will be able to come in and say, right, tweet this, tweet that, hold them accountable, um, expose them to these ideas of shifting identity. And yeah, that's really what works. Yeah. I love that. So it's, um, I love the way you phrase that, you know, from, you know, don't be someone who wants to run a marathon, but someone who wants to enjoy running like those kind of shifts is so simple, but actually just, way beyond what most people think of as their goals like you say it's such a such an important like shifting a narrative so i love that well i'm gonna be honest here that's taking straight up atomic habits is it okay i definitely need to read it james 
Yeah, like I said, he he summed it up very well. Um, and there's lots of kind of ideas that I understood, but actually to see it written like that really made me understand it in a new way. Um, but yeah, he calls it identity-based habits. So, mm. you know, in, in respect for me, at one point, my nickname was Party Boy. That was what I was known for. <laughs> I went from, you know, excelling at on the sporting field to excelling at taking the most drugs. And that was kind of, that became my identity. It was my identity to turn up and be the most fucked, excuse the language, out of, out of anyone. And when I initially first started to try and get myself out of that, it was very much both uh, for, um, using willpower motivation. I'm going to use willpower motivation not to do something. And that worked for a period of time, but because I still kind of believed I was that person, uh, I, you know, it was hard. It was only once I actually had that proper identity shift where I'm no longer associated with that version of myself. And I developed this new identity of someone that, you know, loves being physically active, looking after myself, helping other people. Did it then become a case of not having to use willpower motivation all the time? Mm. And it's exactly the same with dieting. If you're depending on willpower motivation, it's not going to last. You need to get that identity shift. Um, the habits and behaviors need to become part of who you are and then it becomes automatic and then you don't have to use willpower or motivation. Yeah, I love that. That's, um, okay, so obviously, you know, you've had an interesting like journey of this on your own journey of like, you know, like you say, sport at school, partying, drugs, going into this work that you now do from like finance, what would you say has been your greatest learning about yourself or just in general on that whole time throughout that time? Hmm. Um, well, I would say really um, the biggest kind of realization that I had uh, when I was quite young, it was all from this really weird video that I saw on the, the, um, the kind of, mechanics of of neurobiology neuroscience um and it was really just i think just adopting a growth mindset at the time i didn't know it was a growth called a growth mindset but i kind of had this realization that actually i have the potential to be able to do anything that i put my mind to um and that was just really powerful um and was probably a factor in obviously it being a no-brainer for to leave my job whereas you know, maybe people who are stuck in a, a fixed mindset where they don't necessarily believe they have the potential to learn anything or be good at anything, um, maybe would have stayed. But because I was in that kind of different mindset, I, I can achieve anything I put my mind to. Um, I think that was really, really powerful for me. Um, it's difficult to say because, you know, I'm always learning. I'm not a finished product. Um, so it's difficult to pinpoint one single thing, but I would say from what I see with my clients and how it's impacted my life, uh, working towards developing a growth mindset has the potential to allow you to become the best version of yourself. Mm. Um, or if you're stuck in a fixed mindset, keep you stuck exactly where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's so true. It's just about our perspective within our mind of what we can and can't do. And how do you, you know, change that for yourself to start to take one step towards being the better version of yourself rather than staying in in that space so okay you also I read online and I was like oh, I like this I was like you talked about the natural rhythms of life obviously the sort of 
how the modern world is taking us out of sync with our own natural rhythms. So mm. would you explain that a bit? Because I love that. I think it's it's something obviously I've been looking at for sleep and stuff recently, obviously like getting morning light, <laughs> things like that, yeah. which we, we don't do. So how do you believe the sort of modern world is taking us out of rhythm with ourselves and how do you change that as well? Yeah, so I think you're talking about your circadian rhythm, so your body clock, which is essentially... You know, yeah, every living thing has an internal clock, which is governed primarily by the light dark cycle of the sun. And, you know, really for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, uh, everything, all our biological processes, our day, um, we've been governed by the sun rising and the sun setting. And we're no different now. Um, but obviously, our, for many people, our environment has completely changed. Um, you know, really, if you're living in a big city, you're going from one box to another box, to another box, to another box in these kind of artificially uh, controlled environments with controlled, you know, heating or cooling, you're not breathing in fresh air and it's all artificial light. Mm -hmm. And you're not getting those external cues from the sun for your body to do certain things at certain times of day. Um, you know, for example, uh, as the sun sets, as the wavelength of the sun becomes more orange, that stimulates melatonin to be secreted, which is a sleep hormone. But of course, with big white screens that I'm looking at right now, iPhones, which has blue lights, blue light mimics midday sun and confuses body clock potentially so to stop secreting melatonin. Um, so I feel like I'm very uh, sensitive to this. Um, I'm a light sleeper. So anything that is going to affect my sleep. I've become quite um, militant with, uh, um, you know, I, my girlfriend gets really pissed off, but I brush my teeth in the dark because um, lots of people, they, they dim their lights to mimic the sun setting, but then they go brush their teeth in like really bright bathroom light. But I do it in the dark and, um, you know, I read by candlelight and stuff like that. Um, I love that. So yeah, Reading by candlelight, it's nice. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just a lot more uh, calming for me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I do things in fairly extreme ways. I now don't live in London. I live in the Pyrenees. Like, I'm looking at a mountain the same height as Ben, ne ben Nevis right now, 1,300 metres. Um, and that really, being in those environments just makes me feel uh, I need that basically otherwise I'm not functioning but even if when I was in London it's just going out for a walk first thing in the morning you know if you have a commute um you know London has many many parks big parks as well it's like rather than take the tube the whole way walk across Hyde Park or walk across Regent's Park or whatever it is and getting basically getting outside as much as you can uh getting that natural sunlight on your eyes um will synchronize your body clock and potentially help you sleep in the evening um and there's a lot of research going into this as, uh, now as well. And it seems that you can also influence your body clock with meal timing as well. And they're looking at very interesting ways of um, getting over jet lag using fasting and meal timing. Um, so, yeah, it's all That's very interesting. interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I found obviously like if I eat too late, then I won't sleep, you know, mm. or won't sleep easily or I'll wake up in the night or whatever it is. So... Yeah, I prefer having an earlier meal now, for sure. Just those yeah. tiny little things that change things for us. Um, I can tell you why that is. Yes, please, do. <laughs> so when you digest food, 
there's a thermic effect. So it takes, um, you burn calories, you use energy to digest food and your body temperature increases. And ideally for optimal deep sleep, you actually want your body temperature to drop a bit, which is why um, a good, it's a good idea to sleep with your window open because your sleeping environment should be like 17, 18 degrees. So essentially um, you're going to suppress deep sleep by eating late at night, but then also you're sitting there maybe feeling quite full and uncomfortable. And because your body is really meant to prioritize digestion between a relatively small um, amount of time during the day, uh, and it's going to prioritize different things when you're trying to go to sleep, like rejuvenation and repair and rest, uh, but you're actually forcing yourself to digest that. So it's throwing everything out of sync. Mm, yeah, and it makes sense, doesn't it? When you like think of it in that kind of way, it's just like, what does your body really need to be doing before you go to sleep? Yeah. Not digesting a burger or whatever it else it says you've been. <laughs> <No. laughs> um, okay, so what what do you think mainly people are going wrong in terms of creating a happy lifestyle for themselves or a healthy lifestyle and a happy one? Um. It's a good question. Uh, it's obviously multifaceted um, and it really depends on who you're asking. Um, I would say that black and white thinking is a big problem. You know, um, carbs are bad, carbs are good, fat is bad, fat is good, sugar is bad, sugar, you know, um, hit workouts are good, hit workouts are bad, you need to be doing low intensity, steady state cardio, you should be running, you shouldn't be running. Mm. And that's not it's really because of the media. That's what people are exposed to, but black and white thinking doesn't get anyone anywhere. And unfortunately the answer is gray. You know, the, what gets long-term change is great. Like it very much depends. So I think, um, where I see people going wrong with that is maybe not trying things for themselves and seeing how they feel and listening to their bodies and then making a decision whether or not it's right or wrong for them. Um, I think that causes people problems. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because I think it's very easy to listen to like friends or whoever it is about what you should be doing for your fitness. Oh, this worked really well for me. Like try it. And you might be a, first of all, a totally different person because we all are, but also like a totally mm -hmm. different body type, metabolism, whatever it is. And so you can, I think particularly with girls, it can be very easy to see like a friend have a result with something, but you don't actually even know the sort of ins and outs of what they did. And then, you know, someone else tries it and it's just not actually that healthy for you or it doesn't work. And you're just like, oh, you know, what, what, what even was that? Um, so I think like you say, like having that not black and white thinking of like this or that is such an important, important thing. I think it's that. And then also I would really say, um, especially in London and with lots of my, I guess, our social group, it's maybe not having the confidence to be yourself, um, which means then you end up doing things you don't really enjoy or you don't want to do. And that then can end up with health issues, needing to lose weight, drinking problems, drug problems. And I think London especially, there's a real pressure to act a certain way, to have a certain job, to eat in certain places, to go on holiday in certain places. And I think that causes problems for people. And I 
yeah, I've obviously removed myself from that because I had the confidence within myself to do things that are completely different to my friends and they understand it now but at the time they're like why are you doing that you weirdo like you're such a freak don't do that but really I'm happier because of it yeah it's like that whole um <laughs> such a freak <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, like that whole thing of you know that phrase of saying you know a, a powerful no is far greater than a no a strong no is more powerful than a weak yes mm. and you know just deciding what it is that actually you know, coming back to yourself and thinking, okay, what do I actually need? What do I actually want? As opposed to just going along with whatever is being thrown at you at the time, be that, you know, from society or your friends or just general you know, lifestyle you're living. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's a really good point. So yeah, to finish coming back to yourself, um, you know, for me, that really is a massive foundation sort of spirituality and finding that connection to ourselves. And I always ask everyone this on the podcast. So what does spirituality personally mean to you? I think spirituality um, is having a sense of purpose and doing things that um, you believe in, whatever that might be, and pursuing things that have meaning to you. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I think that's what it means to me. Yeah. And I love it. It's funny because everyone always, um, I ask everyone, and it's nice because there's always a sort of common thread of like, a connection with yourself you know in, in some mm. way whatever it is and I think it's such a an interesting um yeah question to ask people because a lot of people well obviously not many listeners now because most people are, are intrigued by this stuff who listen to the podcast but a lot of people obviously confuse spirituality with religion and just it's obviously completely different you know spirituality yeah. is not is not that so like you say finding that sense of purpose and and something that means something to you. I think that's a really nice way of way of looking at it. Thank you so much, Max. It's been so wonderful talking to you and hearing about yeah all the amazing work you're doing. And obviously, if anyone is interested in in the kind of work, getting support from Max, I'll put his website and stuff in the show notes so you can find him. But it's been yeah really great talking to you and learning a lot more about this. So thank you. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with the wonderful Max. If you're interested in increasing your own fitness and the work that he does, then click the link in the bio in my show notes so you can find out how and where you can work with him. If you did enjoy this episode, then please share it with your loved ones. Tag us in your stories on social media. We would love to hear from you. Until then, I will see you next time with another incredible guest to help you to become unstressable. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.